My name is, if you don't know me, my name is Mike Brubaker. I'm one of the pastors here on the pastoral staff, and it is a privilege, and I am humbled to be the one teaching and preaching this morning. Uh, We are in a transition time. Last week, we finished up with Alec Hill uh, closing the spiritual journey on a praying life. That's been our spiritual journey for about two, two and a half months. Alec did a wonderful job breaking the word to us. And now we move into uh, next Sunday being the Advent season and the expectation of thinking of the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today this message is going to be a prayer and a song both by Mary. And in regard to the Advent season, uh, there are scripture calendars in your worship program. They look like this, and I'm going to encourage you to tuck that in your Bible or fold it and put it in your somewhere, attach it uh, to take home to remember it, because I'll be uh, pointing out the import of that later on. Aaron O'Hara put that together. It's going to be very important in focusing on the scriptures in this Advent Christmas season. And if uh, you want an extra one, there are more out in the atrium lobby. We're going to be looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. God intends for us to surrender to him just like she did. And he brings about wonderful results, wonderful consequences in our hearts and lives when we surrender to him. This is a great thing to follow up on after Thanksgiving Day a few days ago because we were focusing in on thanks and praising God. And today we look at magnification and rejoicing. And those are two very significant things in the continuation of Thanksgiving. So here is the message in a sentence. And by the way, if you want to follow along in your uh, program, it's on the back page, the outline, and some of us enjoy outlines, and so you can grab that and uh, just uh, follow along on that. But here's the message in a sentence. My surrender unleashes magnification and praise to my God. My surrender, assumed to God, my surrender releases magnification and praise to my God. Now, I'm asking now Andrea Torres to come up here and read the scripture. And uh, there she is. She's a first-year student at uh, Hagerstown Community College. And this passage she's reading is about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So pretend that Andrea is Mary and just hear it through this young lady. You may, you may hand-hold it. Thank you. Here, I'll get it. Yep, there you go. Connected. Okay, thank you. Um, I will be really reading Luke 1, verse 38 first, and then 46 through 55. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he has said to our fathers. Thank you. Thank you, Andrea. Notice those words in verse 38. She says, Behold the bondservant of the Lord. It's the strongest word for slave there that she uses. She says, Be it done to me according to your word. Now that's full surrender. Surrender to whom? Well, she uses the title Lord. Behold the bond slave, the handmaiden, the servant, the slave of the Lord. The Lord is ruler. So she's saying, Lord, I surrender to you. Then what happens? She talks about magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in the Lord. And what is that all about? She's surrendering her life purpose. And her life purpose is focused on the Lord. It's not focused solely on her. It's not focused solely on things. It's not focused solely on problems. It's not focused on this unexpected pregnancy. Look at Mary at the end of the interchange between her and, and the angel Gabriel. He tells her that she's going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so she was going to be overshadowed, it says in the scriptures, by the Holy Spirit and become pregnant without any sexual uh, activity with Joseph. And by the way, uh, Joseph, her fiance, and not with, without any sexual activity with any other man. She answers at that point, Behold your servant, the servant of the Lord. Be it done to me. May it be to me according to your word. Now let's see some things about Mary. She's 14 to 17 years old. That was the norm in that time. Their lifespan was shorter. Adulthood was a formality at age 12. And so 14 to 17 is when they became engaged and married and had children. She's Jewish of the appropriate ancestry according to Luke chapter 3 and a couple of chapters. You can read that on your own. She's engaged to Joseph. She is godly, obedient as a young lady. And I love this about Mary. She's a ponderer. I heard Pastor Scott use that. He was pondering on Psalm 37 earlier this week. In chapter 1, verse 29, it says that Mary pondered things that Gabriel the angel told her. In verse 34, she asks a question. She's a thinker. Sure, she had emotion. And sure, she expressed it, but she was a thinker. In verse 19 of chapter 2 and in verse 51, similar things. Mary treasured these things in her heart. About whom? About her son, Jesus. She pondered on these things. Don't you love it? When God holds out this marvelous 
marvelous young lady as an example. She's quite a role model for girls and women. She's quite a role model for boys and men. Any one of us men, I would be old enough, more than old enough, to be her dad. Any one of us men would gladly have a daughter like this or a granddaughter. Any one of us moms or grandmoms would gladly have a daughter like this. She was one of my, and still is, one of my heroes ever since I was in my 20s. One of my great heroes, and I I did not, I grew up Protestant, not Roman Catholic. Obviously, Mary is a hero to many people of the Roman Catholic faith tradition, and they have a high regard for her. And sometimes, in my humble opinion, might take things a little too far. But we Protestants have a view of her, and we are fond of her, but sometimes we view her too lowly. Today in Scripture, I hope we will see a balance. I hope we will see Mary for who she is and view her as the one who sets a courageous tone, a humble tone. She's assertive. She's vulnerable. She's godly. She knew the Old Testament scriptures, but not merely intellectually. She obeyed them. She's pure in her sexuality. And now, if you aren't there already, turn in your Bibles to chapter 1 of Luke. If you're using the church Bible... The guy was passing out. It's page 1588. The surrender of Mary in verse 38 is her reputation because surely some did not think she was a virgin. When that message spread, I'm guessing some thought, right, you were impregnated by the Holy Spirit. Right. Sadly, Cynicism is not only in our culture, but in that day as well. Surrendering her very personal self, her very womb, and God through the angel and God through her cousin Elizabeth called her graced one, favored one, called her blessed. I have a question for you. Since surrender leads to some very wonderful and positive things, Where do you need to surrender? She surrendered her all, her body, her very personal being, and yet was called favored one and graced one and blessed of the Lord. Where have you been holding something back? Maybe it's huge and you've not given it up to the Lord. Maybe it's very small and you've not given it over to him. Right at the beginning of this message, let's just take a moment, ask God to show you an area of surrender. Just have some silence and quiet. Amen. So here we go. Mary sings a song, she prays a prayer, and she preaches a message all in one ten verses. Her first stanza is this, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
The word for soul is very uh, is, is from what the word we get psyche, suke. It's my very inner being, my emotions, my mind, my will, my everything, and my soul, my psyche, my the core of me is focused on the ruler. My soul magnifies the Lord. He's the ruler of the universe, and he desires to be the ruler of our lives. And what's that area that he's been nudging you to give up your rulership? And then Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The word is a compound word in the original language, and whenever a compound word is used, it's used for emphasis and strength and power. And what he's saying is, my soul makes great, mega. It's the word we get mega from. So my soul makes mega the Lord. Now think about it. The Lord is large. He's great. He is all-powerful, all-righteous, all-present and all-knowing and all-holy and a whole lot more. And so he can't be made any bigger than he is, but too often in the lives of us human beings, our problems, our things, our people, our circumstances, our relationship appear to make him small. And God does not desire that. He desires for us to make him mega. Mary is saying, my soul magnifies. It it makes the Lord mega. My soul declares great things about him. By testifying of great things he did, she says it. She declares it. She is telling of it. And so how does she, Mary, magnify the Lord? First of all, she tells how he's done great things. Notice in this song, she says he's done great things for her. That's verses 46 to 49. Listen. She calls him her savior. She remember, he remembered her status. And, she, and she, he also has his mercy go from generation to generation. That's all of the great things for her. She declares the great things he's done for us. And that includes uh, down through the centuries. Mercy upon all generations does strong things with his mighty arm and turns cultural things right side up or upside down. Look at the verses that that... I just want to point this out quickly. Too often we're used to the proud winning. And here he says in verse 51, he scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Too often we and they back in those times were used to rulers that were cruel and wicked and just doing what they wanted. And here it says in verse 52, he pulled down the rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. Just the opposite of cultural trends, then and now. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry, both physical and spiritual, with good things. And he sent away the rich empty-handed. And too often, we are used to seeing the rich have everything to feed their wants and their needs, and the poor have nothing. God turns things upside down or right side up. And the great things that he's done for Israel are talked about in verses 54 and 49. He helped Israel and he remembered his promises to Abraham and all of the, uh, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth, and all of his descendants. Now in this passage, or in this song or prayer, 
Mary uses about 12 to 15 Old Testament scriptures. If you want to read up on those, on the back page of the bulletin, uh, Verlin was kind enough to type out, I believe, 13 references from the Old Testament. Those 13 are referenced in her song and possibly a few more that I missed. And so, what do we learn? We learn that Mary had parents who discipled her well. She not only had scripture up in her head, but she lived it out in her words and in her attitude and in her obedience. That's why I'm so thankful for this Advent sheet. It makes me want to do this. Our daughters are out on their own, Amy and Charlene, both married. But now I want to review these scriptures and see how I can sort of act it out with Natalie, our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. And what are you doing, parents? How are you doing, parents and grandparents? You say, I don't have kids or grandkids. How are you doing with someone who looks up to you in your sphere of influence? Because everyone has that. Everyone has a younger person who looks at us, a neighbor child, uh, someone in your, somewhere is watching you, or a teenager. And we have kids and adults here who do not have Christian parents and who need someone to mentor and disciple them. And I exhort you to be like Mary's parents and be faithful to the scriptures in sharing it, in discipling and mentoring your children as they did Mary. You say, I don't know how to do that. Uh, Please see Aaron O'Hara or me or one of the other pastors and we will gladly give you resources and help train you in that. This is huge. Mary magnified the Lord by telling the great things that he had done and it was very focused on the word of God. The next way she made great the Lord was to declare his name holy. She magnified the Lord simply by saying, His name is holy, verse 49. The word for holy means set apart, totally different. God is totally pure, all righteous, is not touched or tainted by sin. He is perfect. He is totally other. He is high, transcendent, magnificent, without sin and blemish. And when it talks about his name, that means his very character, his qualities, his person, his entire being is holy. And throughout Old Testament, Isaiah 6, New Testament, the book of Revelation, angels and people are declaring holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Mary declares it, and we are to declare it. And the third way that Mary magnifies, makes greater, makes mega the Lord, is by declaring his mercy. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. So it's people who respect him, and this verse gives great encouragement to me because, listen, in our country and many other countries, there are patterns and paradigms of wickedness 
and, and it appears like evil and, and disobedience and immorality are winning. And is there no justice? And is there no mercy? And the answer, according to this scripture, is yes, there is. Yes, there is. What is mercy? Mercy is God withholding from people what you and I deserve and what Mary deserved. We deserve, as it says in Ephesians, we are born as children of wrath. We are born in sin. And so we deserve the wrath of God upon us in that sinful nature. Because remember, he is holy. He is Lord. He is perfect. He is pure. He is transcendent. But yet he condescended. And this Jewish girl was remembering people bringing lambs to the temple or goats or turtle doves. She was remembering the Passover lamb at their household. And she was remembering how they, according to Old Testament scripture, and their sins were placed on that sacrificial lamb and how their sins were covered and would be remembered against them no more. And now, centuries later, the sin that is ours, the wrath of God that we deserved, was placed on the perfect lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And the sin that weighs us down, the shame, the guilt, allow me to describe how affected I was as a junior high student. My sin bothered me that much. I don't know what it was, an overactive conscience, a holy fear of God, that I would kneel at my chair in my bedroom for hours, rocking back and forth in shame. I believe coming very close to an emotional and mental breakdown. Burdened so low that I couldn't take it. Are some of you here today so burdened by your sin, so low that you don't think you can take it anymore? And then I was taught by some wonderful teachers that all of my sin and my shame and my guilt was put upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And the righteousness and the gift of grace and the gift of healing, of forgiveness, the gift of release of shame and bondage was placed on me in a cloak, though invisible, a coat of righteousness and Jesus' perfection and his holiness at the moment I believed in Christ as Savior was invisibly put around me and I sang in a fresh way my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, 
but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And there was a freeing up and a freedom in my college years that I have never forgotten. And you and I, that's the mercy that goes from generation to generation instead of getting the wrath that I and you deserve and that Mary deserved. We get his holiness, his righteousness, his cleansing, his forgiveness, his purity, his wonder, his grace, and it's clothing us and it gives us hope for this generation and the generation to come and the next one and the next one. And that is where our hope and our strength lies. Glory be to the Lord God. And that's what Mary did to make him great. She declared the great things he had done, holy is his name, and that mercy goes from generation to generation. But one more stanza that she sang, or one more thought that she prayed, And that is, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her inner being, the word for rejoices is exalts, lifts up, makes glad, praises. My spirit lifts up, rejoices, makes glad in God, my Savior. Now listen, there are some faith traditions that say that Mary was without sin, that she was holy from the beginning and ongoing without sin. I believe in a few simple but profound words here. In verse number 47, she is saying, I'm a sinner and God is my Savior and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. She is forgiven. She learned from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 53 that that suffering servant was Jesus was the Messiah and she was carrying this Jesus do you remember the name Jesus you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins Yeshua Jesus Joshua all three names the same means Jehovah saves he is Lord and he saves. And I have a question for you. Not only is he the saving one for Mary, and not only is he the saving one for me when I was age 11, but he is your saving one. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your forgiveness of sins and no one else? Or are you still depending on, like I was doing from ages 12, 13, 14, if I pray well enough or good enough, I might earn his favor. If I do enough good things, I might gain his attention. No, no. My spirit exalts, rejoices in God, my Savior. She declares that or demonstrates it in two ways. That God remembers his servants. That's why her spirit is rejoicing. If some of us here are here today wrestling with, I'm not sure I can give up that little thing or great thing. God remembers you, dear friend. 
put your name in there. I need to hear this because I can still have a very imbalanced view of myself. I'll be so arrogant and doggone proud in certain areas that God wants to cleanse me of and, and sort of swab that out. But then in other areas, I will have too low a view of myself. In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, says he's given us the faith to have just the right view, not too high, not too low. He remembers his servant, Mary. He remembers his servant, Michael. Put your name in there. He remembers his servant. And think your name right now. Not only that, Mary rejoiced in God her Savior and declared that God as Savior remembered her humble state. You might or might not know that Mary came from a very poor family. We can surmise that or infer that because when they took Jesus to the temple to have the uh, sacrifice of, of purification, they brought birds rather than animals. And in the Old Testament, it's taught that birds were allowed for, for, excuse me, for poor households when they couldn't afford animals. So Mary and probably Joseph as well were poor. He remembers our humble state. You might come here and you're very poor today. You might come here and you're very rich today. But God calls both of those, actually, in certain ways, he calls the rich low and the poor high, and he reverses things. He remembered Israel's status as a servant nation, and he remembers our humble state. In a sentence again, my surrender releases magnification and praise to my God. I'd like us to just take some time to see where we need to surrender. As a lady, Mary surrendered her reputation, her family honor, her womb. It took courage for Joseph to not divorce her. He had that Old Testament and cultural right. And he was told directly by God in a dream, do not do it. And so Joseph, it took courage for him. It took courage for Mary. So ladies, where is an area where you need to have courage in the Lord? Men, where is an area that you need to have courage in the Lord to do the right thing? To not go the path of culture. To not go the path of convenience. To do the unpopular thing with your family. When you're at your computer. When you're on the job. To not cut corners. And then as a result of that, let me ask you this. Have you been so focused on yourself, your problems, your pain, your circumstances, 
your relationships that are struggling or failing that you haven't been able to make God great. You've been doing everything else, making things or people or problems look great, maybe even making yourself look great and forgetting who the great one is. And then secondly, have you been, excuse me, have you been whining more than exalting and praising and rejoicing? Before we close in prayer with a magnificent song, a song that has sort of been for the last few weeks going over and over in my mind, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, O Lord. But to get there, God would have us surrender. So let's take some time. If you want to kneel where you are in either confession, repentance, asking for a renewal, recommitment, kneel here at these altar rail, kneel at the cross. You're welcome to do so. Lord, you're hearing our quiet prayers right now. You've heard my confessions and repentance of pride. My confession, repentance of making my shame greater than my identity in Christ. Thank you for our hero, Mary. and what she did to make you great and what she said to lift you high and to praise. Give us 